Hey everyone, welcome back to another podcast episode of Singapore Noodles, an online platform with the mission of keeping Singaporean food heritage alive. Today on the show with me, I have Patricia Chen, who is an independent filmmaker who founded Seckle Kitchen during Circuit Breaker. For those of you who are not in Singapore, Circuit Breaker is Singapore's version of the lockdown. So, Circle Kitchen is a home-based business serving traditional fare such as nasi ulam, haka yong tau fu, and abaca seeds. If you already follow Patricia on Instagram, you would know how obsessive she is about her food and I was so amazed at the level of attention that goes into everything that she makes. So, I really hope that you'll enjoy this following conversation with Patricia. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Finally, I get to meet you. I know, same here. <laughs> I'm so in awe of your book. I well done you. Thank you. I'm so in awe of your food. Oh no, you haven't tasted it yet. Maybe it wouldn't pass your standard. <laughs> you know, sometimes when you just read the way someone describes their food or just read through their Instagram posts, I think you can get a real sense for how much they care about food. Because, I, I mean, ultimately, food is not just about technique, right? It's all about yeah. the, the heart and the, the heart. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, I, I, I saw that in your book too. And that's why when I bought that book, and I thought, oh my gosh, this, who is this person? She's so interesting. And you were so detailed. You were so detailed. And I enjoyed reading about um, the origin of yeah. the different ingredients, how do, you, how do you cook them, how do you choose them, how do you keep them. And I thought, oh my gosh, there are so many ingredients I've not tried. And I thought, oh, I must, I must search her out. And <laughs> I couldn't find you. And that's why I was so shocked when, I think it was maybe five hours later, I, I got an Instagram message from you and I oh my gosh. <laughs> so it's a privilege for me, for me to connect with you. So well done. And I, I, I love reading about your post and your, um, your Instagram stories. Yeah. Um, my next project would be one of your salt-baked chicken. Huh? Salt Was it salt-baked chicken? chicken right? Yeah, the haka one, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. my father has just... Uh, no, we don't. So I don't know which... I, I want to find out which region um, you know, of the haka uh, sort of a precinct, I would say, I would say regional precinct. It's it's from. I'm yeah. curious because it's never been part of our uh, offering or what my parents cook is is never, and I've never heard of it before. Maybe because, huh? You've never heard of this dish before. No. Really. So that's, that's so yeah. So that's why I want to know where it's from. Ah, because I've, me. I've, uh, it's, yeah. it's one of my favorite zita dishes, you know. Every time I go, really? go out for zita, I always order that dish. And they will always call it Hakka Sok Baked Chicken? Yeah, pretty much. Really? Uh, that's so strange. I've tasted Sok Baked Chicken but, and, and, and I love it, but I didn't know it was Hakka. Ah. So that's yeah, why I'm so keen to try it <laughs> and to, you know, every time I see it, I say, oh my gosh, that's my next project. I'm going to cook it for my parents mm. and, um, and see what they think. Oh. So that's why I, I love, and I tell you, you are, you are so good in writing. You're so good in storytelling. And you write so well and you share, you're a storyteller. I feel so flattered because I know that you're a writer, <laughs> right? You're a writer. <laughs> yeah, but 
I'm, I'm, I, I write about art, you know, and to yeah. you, you are so detailed. Yeah. You're so detailed and you're so, you're so meticulous. Mm. So it is so good. So yeah. I'm so good. I'm so glad to be connected to you. It's, it's such a privilege. Me too. I mean, you know, you talk about being meticulous, right, with, with um, writing. I, I feel that that is very much needed in Singapore, especially with Singaporean food. Because I feel yeah. that there is so much wisdom and so much knowledge in Singapore. It's just that no one really takes the effort to document it. I remember when I was growing up, um, when I tried cooking local food, I felt very intimidated, either that mm. or I felt like the cookbook wasn't serious enough because you always see like mm. MSG or chicken stock powder, you know, mm-hmm. instead of them yeah. advocating for the real, the real deal. And so yeah. it felt very frustrating because you had those really low production cookbooks and then you mm. have like Western cookbooks that would be, you know, like thick homes that that were like mm. definitive and they really taught you every single thing you know they really opened their kitchen and showed you every single step and I felt that that was so lacking so when I came mm. you know when when I had the chance to write my own cookbook I felt that that was definitely something that I really wanted to do you know have that kind of um, meticulous nature about it and also with running of Singapore noodles you know I really wanted to show people everything and not be you know, I, I feel that there is this shroud of secrecy when it comes to mm. um, yes, cooking and true. <laughs> Especially traditional uh, foods. Yeah, do you think so? I mean, everyone thinks of it as an heirloom and like, oh, you can only have all my secrets if you are my granddaughter or something. Yes, yes. That happens to, to my, my, my parents and my, my relatives too. Yeah, which is yeah, a bit but, of, um, Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel a bit torn about it because, yes, you know, I feel that it is like an heirloom, but at the same time, that is why traditional cooking is dying, right? Mm, mm. And, and that's why I, um, you know, your, your book after, I, I'm not done with the entire thing. I'm, you know, I've just tagged things, right? But what I like is the, the transparency of... Um, of, of processes you actually say do this but don't do that um, which is very important because some cookbooks don't tell you everything um, and secondly I actually appreciated your research mm. I think you you went very very far with your research and after I flagged you know the few pages and I thought oh my gosh she has to write the second and the third and the fourth <laughs> one there is so much to cover I know and you know I'm I'm not a cookbook person, I have to tell you. My entire camera is just full of art. So this is, um, let me see, uh, maybe the second cookbook I've bought in my life. Really? Yeah. I've always gone online. Uh, the first one was Julia Charles. Mm. Um, I've I always left it on the shelf. But I don't know what brought me to Kinokuniya on that day and when I saw Market to, Market to Table. Oh, that's very interesting. But what picked my interest was that you chose um, ingredients that, you know, that we could, we, people can find from the market. And I've always said, oh my gosh, what do you do with these things? I mean, who eats them? Um, are, are they you're part of Malay cuisine? Are they part of Chinese things? Of course, the turnips and the yams, I'm more familiar, but the borlotti bol, bol, beans. Yeah. I've always been very curious. And that's why, you know, just 
just, you know, I'm so glad you're here because I want to tell you I've made it four times. Oh my God. <laughs> four times. Mm. And I, br- I bring it to all my friends. The moment they taste it, they say, you have to give me the recipe. This is so good. This is so-. And these are very fussy um, home cooks. Yeah. Extremely fussy. What is this made of? And I don't tell them yet. I just let them taste. My family, my daughter who is into rabbit food, uh, she loves it. So that day, I just made, I think, half half of a kilo. She ate everything up. She, she finished everything. Oh my God. I'm so happy uh, she, to hear that. She wants me to make cups and cups and cups and cups of it and keep it in the kitchen for her. Uh, in, in the fridge for her. She, she loves it. So you see, it is all these things, you know. I mean, it is, um, I mean, very simple ingredients. And you make it so simple. Yeah. I, so, I think oh. for me, right, my approach to cooking is like, I always value things that are low input, high output. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as, much as, as much as a lot of um, the food that I cook at home is very laborious, things mm. like, things that require multiple processes like deep frying and then braising or steaming. Yes. I only do them if it makes sense and if it makes a huge difference to, to the dish, you know. Mm. But if it's like something small like, um, like for example, you know, some Peranakans advocate washing your coriander seeds and then sun, sun toasting and then <laughs> I, I don't do that. I just, you know, toast in a pan and then grind it up. Yeah. yeah. So, I think that's very important because we have to realize that the market now is so different. I mean, people, people's cooking habits are so different. So, I mean, mm. recipe writers have to adapt to that as well. We can't always expect people to cook in the same way that people have for ages. But at the same time, you don't want to compromise on the flavors or the textures yes. that make True. the dish what it is. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, I when agree. I read your post, I was so interested because... You actually cook a range of laborious dishes like <laughs> nasi ulam, yong tau fu, and abaca seeds. And they're all really time consuming. So I was just wondering, yeah. why would you cook dishes like that? You know, if you are going to sell it, you know, the typical businesswoman perspective yeah. would be to cook yeah. something that is, you know, Western, I guess, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the easiest. Right. Yeah, you stick it in the oven. Yeah. Or you cook it in the stove, pasta. So what was your thought process behind that? Uh, well, I think it has to do with my life pre-COVID, mm. right? I've, uh, it started with nasi ulam. So nasi ulam has always been a dish. I mean, it has been a dish that I've been following for 20 years now. So when I first ate it, as a, I ate it in the form, I, my first encounter with it was in the form of a birthday cake. You know, a mountain of of rice with a candle on top. It was somebody's birthday. And I thought, oh my gosh, what is this? And I remember I didn't talk to anyone that night. Uh, I didn't talk very much because I was so busy eating. And after that, I became so fascinated with, with that. And I'm actually quite an OCD person. You know, I like to go very, very deep. So after that, I began to... That was when Paramakan was... Was, uh, was at Juchet uh, Road. Mm. And I would go to Kelvin. Um, and every time I tell you, um, I would, mm, when I go there, he, he and his staff would know. He would, uh, I would just 
I mean, they have so many Peranakan offerings and all the different dishes. Nope, I would just order nasi ulam, but two portions for me. My friend, my friend would say, oh my gosh, it's so embarrassing to eat with you. You know, you ordered just nasi ulam and two portions to yourself. I said, yeah, because I enjoy it so much. And after I, I eat it, um, and I would actually go quite frequently, I would order like three or five days in advance, I would start asking questions. I said, oh, why is today's different? Oh, today's, you know, what did you add that, that, is, uh, that, that is different? What was your process? And um, the owner would actually explain to me how the dish would, was supposed to be served, what went inside. Um, he didn't tell me exact ingredients, but actually, that actually started my, my process of discovery. And I started uh, Googling and uh, searching different recipes. And so I used to travel a lot uh, pre-COVID. And so in between my, my, my periods of travel, I would you know, like to invite friends home or I would, um, I would cook. I would do nasi ulam potluck, sort of, you know, kind of a thing. And I would say, you know, guys, I will only co contribute one dish to my own potluck. Okay, you guys, I, I, will, I would provide all the cups and the drinks and everything. But everybody, I can only do one dish, right? You guys bring whatever dish. So I would do that maybe twice a year. And after some time, it sort of have its own following. I have an Indonesian friend who would fly down uh, from Jakarta just to eat that nasi ulam. So... Naturally, when, you know, um, when I thought of sharing this um, and receiving payment for this, uh, I, it didn't actually occur to me um, for this to be a business platform. It was, you know, that suddenly everything was shut, uh, locked down and I couldn't, I had so much energy and I, I, I enjoyed creating things, but I don't know how to spend it, if you know what I mean. And so then I went to my parents and with, with nasi ulam in the pocket. And I went to my parents and said, you know, why don't you, you teach me all the food that, you know, I've been enjoying uh, since childhood. And they had to do it through video call. Can you imagine? And they would say, okay, do that. Don't do that. Do this. Don't do that. Buy this fish, but don't buy from that, 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 that seller. Uh, but this is how much you buy at this, but not too much of that. So, you know, it, it, was, it, it was that kind of conversation. And uh, so I started sharing because I like to practice a lot. So I like to perfect things. So I, I'll cook like yang tau fu today. Two days later, I'll try again. And then two days later, I try again. And my family members, uh, my daughters and my husband, is like, were, they were like, okay, we're, we're sort of quite done with this. So maybe you want to give to other people. So I started distributing to friends. So I think, and I did, I made focaccia bread. I started learning um, uh, advocacy. But I remember my mother's recipe wasn't the best for advocacy. So I remembered a taste that I encountered 20 years ago. And I thought, okay, that's the auntie in moi I'm going to call. So I, uh, so yeah, so I started making connections with my Hakka relatives and, you know, from both sides, from my parents' side. And I said, can you please teach me? And so, of course, they were very willing. They said, okay, I'm going to, you know, pass to you all the ancestral recipe. I said, 
Oh, really? <laughs> okay, it's so formal. Yeah, yeah, make sure you pass to your daughter. Um, your daughters. And um, yeah, so I think I sort of started that way. And COVID gave me a lot of free time. Um, so it was in one of those, I think it was on a particular day in May, um, after sharing for about one or two months, two of my friends came to me. I think consecutively, one of them said, you know, Pat, you've been sharing your bread and everything. I would actually leave the food packets at the door, at their doors, but I didn't want anything back. So I'll just leave it and I leave, you know, so that they won't feel obligated to give me anything. And they said, um, they said, well, I, I think this may actually grow to become something, to, to into something. Would you, um, would you be open to it? if it happens. And the next day, this Indonesian friend of mine said the same thing. And he threw me a challenge. Now, he said, I think you're, I think you're quite a coward. You know, um, you know it, it actually costs nothing to actually start sharing uh, your food and getting people to pay for it. Maybe you should think of it as being a more sustainable way of sharing so that you're not the one who's actually shouldering the food cost and you're able to rechannel all that money that's been paid to you to learn and try other dishes and, it, and, and get it to have a life of its own. So I said, you know what? I'm not sure if I want to be locked down. No, 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 you won't be locked down um, because it's an Instagram shop, if you know what I mean. Uh, you're not paying rental. You don't have people you don't have fixed costs so it can it can last as long as you want it to last and so because he he said i was a coward so i set it up within three three hours literally <laughs> and so then you see so I, what did i have in my pocket i had nasi ulam really um and i had all the dishes that i had learned from my parents um and now one thing that actually excited me um and got me seriously thinking about it was, I felt that um, when I was learning it to cook for family, I had the attitude, well, it's okay, it's not perfect. Um, I can always improve it next time. You know, I'll add more salt or less salt or buy this fish or buy another kind of yam. So I always postpone the learning, if you know what I mean. But, I realized, then I thought, now, if I accepted money, then I have the pressure, I have, I have the task of making it perfect. And that was actually what got me um, started and excited because I thought, well, you can, I, I can see this as a form of... Um, forced learning, putting my path, myself on the path of forcing myself to learn um, at a certain pace, at a certain standard. And yeah, so you can actually see my Instagram post about, you know, my failed attempts of yam and all of that, you know, the cement mess, the cement looking mess. I document all of them. So I think, yeah, so this, this was the background. Um, why laboriousism? I think there is this side of me, um, this part of me that does not um, like to repeat what other people, what other people do, especially what other people do well. Um, it applies to the area I, uh, the area of um, I, I write about, um, to the films I make, 
uh, I don't like to make commercial films. I like to hunt um, interesting subjects and and do independent films. You know, I would learn uh, camera work. I would buy my own equipment. So I'm that kind of a person. I like to get my hands dirty. Um, and and so so with with that and and if I thought if I were to start something. Why would I want to make rendang, for example? Why would people want to come all the way to my place to pick up a packet of rendang? You know, when rendang is available all over Singapore, um, why would they want to do that? I mean, I put myself as a consumer and I thought, you know, it's nothing special. I can get it in the market. I can get it in, you know, 500 other restaurants. So my friend was saying, was suggesting, why don't you start with your nasi ulam? You know, because I've never tasted anything like that uh, before. And, um, and I knew from years of making that it, was, it, it has not been offered in many restaurants uh, because it's just, it's just crazy laborious. And because I, I, sh I cook it as if I'm cooking for my family, I'm just very generous with ingredients, uh, with, with the flavours. And... and so he said, well, no, just, just cook it the way you cook for us. And then I said, okay, why not? You know, he says, don't worry about the price, just work backwards. Um, anyway, how many can I make in a day? You know, I'm not selling 100. So if, if there's interest, okay, well, you, you can sell them. If there's no interest, then you don't have to cook it. So that's the flexibility of having a home business. So that's why, and, and because I'm following traditional food with Hakka food, um, they're all laborious. If you look at thunder tea, um, it's very laborious. Um, but that's the nature of it. And, that's, and, and the, the motivation of offering, of, of working on them is because, like for example, advocacy. I've never taken it outside because they're always so starchy, super oily, um, not enough flavour. Um, and I, so when I started working on it, I said, no, 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 I don't want that kind of starchiness. I don't want, I don't want the whole mouth of, you know, flour. I want to taste the yam, but I don't, I want, I have an imagined consistency. So my, my process was about, okay, how do I reduce it? So every week, every attempt, I would reduce, I would start with like 5% flour, 10% flour, 15% flour. You know, I would put it side by side. And I, I, I did it with, with the seriousness of like probably a scientific experiment until I, I get the kind of tendency, um, the, the consistency that I wanted. Then I realized, oh my goodness, every yam is different. You know, because some yams that I buy are denser than the rest. So I may actually put a certain percentage for one yam but oh my gosh, this is so much softer and fluffier. The old percentage, you know, does not work. And so then I learned, I learned that it's about adjusting, you know, really have a feel of the ingredient and just adjusting as the, the, the flour content as I made it. So yeah, the, the whole, yeah. So I think laborious dishes um, is because of this, um, the intensity, um, the kind of commitment to, to uh, traditional flavours that it is actually not possible for a lot of um, businesses outside to commit 
to because they have rentals, they have cost of ingredients, they have staff costs, they have to make profits, right? So for me, I have only got my utilities and myself. Um, so I'm able to go all the way. Um, uh, yeah, so that's why I decided to yeah take on traditional food this way. Sorry, it's a very long answer to a very simple question. <laughs> no, you know, I really love your perspective and I found it really illuminating the part that you talked about your perfectionist um, streak, right? Um, you know, you talked about how that compelled you to kind of um, improve really quickly within a short frame of time. But for a lot of other people, I guess, having that kind of nature would paralyze them from putting anything out at all. Mm, right? Really? So, <laughs> okay. Yeah, because I mean, like for example, for myself, when I wrote Wet Market to Table, like there's always this nagging feeling at the back of your head telling you, you know, it's, you know, imposter syndrome, right? Telling mm. you that, oh, you're going to get found out, you're a fraud, you know? Mm. Right? Because, you know, like what if one recipe doesn't work for someone? So how was that like for you? Did you feel any of that kind of pressure? Like, oh, what if someone receives my food and doesn't like it? Yeah. Yes, all the time. Mm. But you see, for me, it's, um, it's always about sharing um, flavors from my household. Right? So you may not like the taste of yam. You may not take meat, for example. Or you may not take, uh, you may not like herbs, so I've so that's why in in my um, in in my Instagram account when I when I write about signature dish, I'm never selling. You will never ever see me selling, even for my films. You know, I never ever sell. I just share. Oh, this is the process. This is what I put in. Um, certain people like it. It's an acquired taste. I will always have that kind of qualification. So. Because I share the ingredients, some, uh, some people say, oh, no, I, I don't take herbs. I say, oh, then, then you shouldn't try nasi ulam because it's got, like, I don't know, 9, 10, 17 different herbs. So, uh, because I don't put myself in the position of selling, um, and I, I never see myself as persuading you to buy anything. So, I don't have that burden Mm. Um, you know, I, I don't have that burden. But I do, I, do, um, I do share your concern that, oh, this imposter syndrome. Yeah, I, 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 I feel that all the time, especially when I have no, I have no training. You know, I, I'm really coming to this as a novice, you know, this, this cooking thing. Mm, my way of writing is almost like a self-talk, if you know what I mean. Hmm. Is, is my own meditations and reflections. Look, I'm, I'm trying this today. Will it work? Would it work? I'm not sure. Uh, does it sound weird? Yes. Um, and after I tried it, I said, yeah, this and this didn't quite work out. Like, for example, the, the, the um, what was that? The seat on the door. Yeah. 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 You know, it didn't quite work out. And I feel that I'm just sharing my trials and my failures and my successes. Um, I'm not trying to persuade you to like it or um, I'm, yeah, I'm just sharing a process. So it's my self-talk. Mm. It's a self-talk. I'm talking to you and I'm talking to myself. Actually, I'm talking to myself first <laughs> and I'm sharing, I'm sharing my, my, my self-talk with you. 
Yeah, I find that very interesting. <laughs> so, I mean, so I feel like this whole process of making these foods and sharing it with people is kind of like a therapy for you almost, right? It is. It so is. You, you selling it as, is, is kind of like a bonus. So how has the journey been like for you? I mean, were you a good cook? Did you have like a firm foundation when it came to cooking before you first started? I, I did not have a firm foundation. I think before COVID, you can say I was, I've always been a consumer, you know, in every sense of the word. Uh, when I was a child, um, you know, my father especially, who loves food, right? He would go very, very far with food. Uh, so every weekend, we would um, go to the best um, Hokkien meat, uh, and it, there was one in Jalan Sultan, and then it moved to Kalang area. And then he would bring us to Taiwan Porridge at Hotel Equatorial. We would go for Tapanyaki. We would then go for uh, Ngohiang at a certain place. We would, he would drive to Ipoh. He would drive us to JB Malacca just to eat. So, um, so my, 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 my exposure to different kind of local cuisines probably started from there. And then, of course, my mum and her clan would cook all the Hakka dishes. Right, so that's my my grounding. But I had never, never been involved in cooking because, um, actually, I've always been very busy working. I was um, I was from the corporate world. Then I went to the art world, and when I went to the art world, my um, no, actually, my corporate world. Um, for ten years, I was traveling all over the world, um, but. They were developed countries and I ate very well because the company I was with um, actually was entertaining all the time. So all the top restaurants, you, you name it, the top Italian, the top Chinese, the top Western, everything, it, all over the world. So as I traveled, I ate, but always a consumer. And then when I moved to the art world and I began um, making films and interviewing people, my travel continued. Um, I'll be making film, uh, films in Jogjakarta, shooting in Hong Kong, and then to in Switzerland, and then um, you know uh, I'll be in uh, Calcutta and 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 Mumbai and Korea, and everywhere I went. the The interesting thing was, uh, in the art world, we get hosted all the time, right, and hosted in people's homes. Right, collector's home. You you would you'll be in you'll be you'll be invited um, to see the art collections and they will talk to you about the collections and they'll they will always prepare a feast at the end for the the visitors who would come from all over the world to see the collections. And they would these these things that they offer would be the best street food, it would be the best um, uh, say uh, local cuisines, but uh, the home versions, um, and they would sometimes actually pack from the best restaurants. Um, so I've always been exposed to different tastes and 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 different flavors, but I've never so I've not really been involved in constructing them, if you know what I mean. And you know, now looking back, I actually say it with some regret because I I was so into you know the camera angles and interviewing people. I wouldn't 
I wouldn't even take pictures of food. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, oh yeah, oh my gosh, I have to take this. What, is, what did you put inside? I, I would never do that. I would just say, well, yeah, this is very interesting. Oh, okay, that's amazing. If you ask me about the name of what they offer, I wouldn't be able to tell you because I was just busy eating. I said, oh, that's very good, that's very good. Um, but then what the turn came when, when um, then when I started, then the documentary um, uh, filmmaking actually took a, a different turn and I began to uh, get involved in commercial projects. Okay, I'll be, I have a, a client uh, who runs a restaurant business and they will say, okay, come, um, you operate alone, right? Independent filmmaker, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, next week, uh, would you be able to travel with uh, the, the, the chef and sommelier to Alba and um, to uh, Lake Garda uh, to shoot, say, um, you know, wine, uh, um, uh, the vineyards there, winemaking, and then caviar, make, uh, harvesting, you know, how they actually harvest from the different um, fishes. And so I got, I started involved, I started getting involved um, in the food side, you know, telling, telling food stories. And I would, um, I would, I, I traveled to Taiwan to actually cover the chef summit to also do table, uh, I think farm to table stories. Um, and because I operate as an independent filmmaker, I do all the camera work and then I edit and then I, I understand narratives uh, and I tell it in the film side as if I'm, I'm writing it out. So, and I interview the subjects. Um, and so maybe it is um, for food businesses, it's easier to involve people like me who, you know, uh, the, the Singaporeans call Pao Kaliao because, okay, I send you, you just, you just follow and then come back with a, with a product. And so I think that process of interacting with chefs and eating with them and drinking with them and um and and i mean some of them are food critics uh, actually exposed me to the other side and when they taste something they say oh my gosh what's what's inside what would you put in that and they start right, making notes and i thought oh my gosh this this process is too long for me i just want to eat you know um so it and then I, I started traveling to Wakayama and uh, shooting uh, a shoyu production, you know, 180 years shoyu production, going to some mountain, looking at how they make sake and all their vets and amazing. And it all, all came because of filmmaking, you know. Um, yeah, so I think there's this, this, this interesting relationship between what I do on the film side and how it actually morphed into the food side. I think it actually built a, sign, a kind of consciousness. Um, but in between my travels, yes, because I was so impressed with certain flavors I tasted, um, like a certain kind of risotto. I think I've never really uh, tasted something that came that close in look. Uh, Lugano in Switzerland, I, they actually made use of a certain mushroom. And I thought, oh my gosh. And after that, I came back trying to create. I, I, I bought packets of that mushroom and I tried to recreate that flavor. And of course, we don't have that same cream, you know. Uh, 
it is different. But so my 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 experiments actually came in between my my travel, um, but not in a professional manner. It's more of trial and error. So I don't have any foundation. Uh, so it's because of COVID and all the traditional food and um, that I began to get uh, in- interested in the construction of flavors. And then to actually get into construction of flavors, I had to understand ingredients and their roles, right? So then um, I began to take my visits to the market. I, I would be at the market at six o'clock every morning having my coffee. I would take that more seriously. I would just, I would ask them, and that started with abacus. Well, where is this abacus from? You know, um, which one is better? Is the one from, from Port Klang better or the one from Thailand? And ev- everybody would be telling me different things. And I just had to buy everything and try. Um, so it is, it is understanding ingredients, the differences in ingredients, the differences in taste and textures, and then understanding methodology in transforming the ingredients in bringing them into certain kind of combination without dwarfing them, without covering their taste. I think it's, it, it kind of has that kind of... Mm. So it, my, my process of experimentation and discovery actually really started in earnest um, during the COVID period. So it's a very, very short process. So I'm really, really a novice. I'm just a home cook, really. That's amazing. I feel like... Looking at your food, it feels like you've been cooking local food for ages, you know? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. It's just very intense. Yeah. So you learn primarily very. from your parents as well as your Hakka relatives, right? How was that process like for you? Because for me, when I learn from, say, my mom or from aunties, right, it's very frustrating for me. <laughs> yes. And I actually, in one of the posts, I, I told this really funny story about my, my auntie's recipe. I don't know what you read. And she, she told me, oh, good. You want to learn abacus, abacus seed? Oh, good. There's Chuan Ren, you know, woman in the Zhuzhong, the Zhuzhong, Zhuzhong, the So she, so I said, oh, okay, Google, what can I, can you teach me? She says, okay, let me give you our ancestor recipe. And then she, she typed it out. And then I didn't look at it properly and I turned up at the market right in front of, that was my first time, right? Right in front of different kinds of yams. And it says, uh, something, something, yijing. Something, something, yiliang. Yijing and yiliang had different conversions depending on where your conversion is. It applica- uh, is, is the application for for Southeast Asia, from Hong, for Hong Kong, for China. And I, I had different measurements. And there's this lady who, who, whom I was talking to, the vendor, and she says, what do you want? What, what yam? How much do you want? I couldn't tell her. I said, sorry, sorry, I have to come back. I have to come back. So that's why you see pictures of my, my yam in absolute mess. Absolute. Because they, are, they were not clear. So I asked my, my kuku, and I said, how much flour do I put in? 
you just put in until you get the right texture. How do I get the right texture? You're not next to me. You will know. You will know. But I didn't know. And that's why it, it looked like cement. And, and she was right. She was right. Eventually, I knew it had to, to do with the method. And, and I, had to, I had to touch the ingredients. And that day, somebody was just telling, somebody who ate um, the advocacy was telling me, oh my gosh, you know, you, this is so good. You have to teach your daughter how to make it. <laughs> you have to write it down. I say write it down, yes. But you know, it is not something that I can write down for her because she has to touch it. Because it's about texture, right? So you have to actually feel a kind of resistance um, from uh, the, when you touch the, 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 the yam. You will only know what is the right kind of resistance when you, when you handle the ingredients. So I can't even describe that to you. How, do you. how do you describe what is the right level of resistance? There's no way. So I said, you know, certain dishes you can only touch and feel and demonstrate in person. Yeah. So it is, it is, that, it is that kind of thing. So, um, yes. So learning from, from the, the older folks, um, uh, there was some challenge there, but I appreciated that that kind of um, that kind of you know exchange. But on the other hand, I'm also very very grateful how it also changed our conversation. You know, because at that time it was about the time when COVID started, when my father was you know um, not feeling very well, and my mother was not feeling very well. They stopped cooking their you know, their regular food, they started catering, you know, those things that, mm. and of course, there's a huge drop in standard. So we were talking about ailments and how, how are you feeling today? Oh, not feeling very well. But because I started this and they said, oh, can you teach me this? Can you teach me that? So the conversation then changed to, oh, be careful, huh? your yam, huh? you cannot do that, yeah? And your, your, your squid, you have to cut it in a certain way. You, you, must, need to, you must remember to soak it. Um, and so then, and, and because they taught me, I shared the fruits of their teaching and put it, left it at the door. And then they would critique it. They say, oh yeah, this one, last time was better. Uh, no, this time was better. It's better because it's less salty. Uh, be careful of that. And then eventually when it was shared, the kind of response on Instagram when people had, you know, oh, this is, this is very good. Remind me of my grandmother's cooking. I would go to them and I would show them, look, you know, this is what this person said about your recipe, you know. Oh, it reminds them of their, mother, uh, their grandmother's cooking like 20 years ago. There was that flavor. And it would bring them so much joy. It's so much joy. So I, I think it's this kind of exchange that I most enjoy, you know. So the business side, if you talk about business as a monetary exchange, it's really a very, very small aspect of it. It is an excuse for me to share food, but it is, it is not the reason why it started. I got, I've gotten so much more um, in other respects um, from starting Cycle Kitchen. And it continues to fill our, our conversation. And every, I tell you, it, 
you have to see the smile on their face, you know. When I say, oh, see, Papa, you know, you see, they say, oh, yeah, 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 they think, they think he can't, he doesn't read English. What did they say in their comments? So I'll read it for them. So I think it's, uh, it's very, very, it's very rich. I think that's so lovely. I realized that there's something really unique about what you do and that, and, and that is that you print QR codes on your boxes, right? When yeah. I first saw that, I was like, this is so genius, you know? First of all, it reduces waste. You don't have to print like an extra piece of paper explaining yes. the heritage, you know? And people will likely just throw that thing away. Yes, reading, exactly. Right? And at the same time, you're able to... Um, you know, use technology in a way that's so smart and so genuine and so authentic, you know. So how did you come across, I mean, how did you think of that idea? I think it actually, it started because, you see, every time, uh, it started because I, when I first, um, uh, when people started first, uh, as in picked up the food, it was just bags with, with boxes of food. And then I would leave paper notes and, you know, there'll be a string that's tied over and, you know, because I, would, I wouldn't be so good with processes and my husband and my children, my girls would have to start, you know, oh, can you please print that out for me? Can you please tie the string for me? And they'd be like, oh my gosh, so much work, mom. You know, and, and I had to write the stories before and that was the beginning because nothing was written yet. And so after a while, it actually took its toll. The process actually took its toll. And they said, can you actually think of a, a more expedient way of doing this? <laughs> and now when I was, when I was doing, um, I've, I've been involved uh, in another independent film uh, involving a Swiss collector. And every year or so, uh, yeah, every year, at least every year or so, we would actually travel to some locations and shoot art, shoot him, you know, shoot different things that he's involved in. Um, and I remember one night, and I was thinking, no. Uh, and and I, I published a little booklet, um, Conversation with Ulisik. And we were working on the second edition. And one night maybe in three, three, year, three years or four years ago, I, I was shooting the, the exhibition of his collection in Bern. I was just looking up at the ceiling and I thought, okay, how I have so much video content. How do I share the video content in a publication? Publication is two-dimensional. I mean, it's, it's one-dimensional even. It's text. The art actually comes alive when, you know, you actually move, when the camera moves around, detail, then uh, with a wide-angle shot, people get a sense of the scale of the work. How do I do that? The first edition was just with, mm, with uh, pictures. So that was the time when um, I thought, oh, actually QR code would be be good by that time there was no i didn't know whether there was a technology behind it i said qr code because i've seen people apply to other things before i said it might actually mm, work with qr i i had no idea how it would work so then i continued to shoot i just love documenting because 
you may ne never have the chance again. So it's better to document and, and keep it first. So it was when, uh, later. So I kept following developments of QR um, until I, I found out that you can actually change content with the same print, with the same uh, oh, QR design. You can. Yeah, you can. So I learned that and I said, oh, okay, I think it works. And that was about, about the time where um, when I uh, when there was contact tracing and everywhere in Singapore you go around with a mobile phone and you go uh, like that you know people are familiar with how to scan things I said okay well okay let's save some paper and you know I got some uh, stamps done self-inking stamps and I set it all up and it was, it was easy so I don't write all the time I only I only have new content when I have something to say. Uh, but I always put the QR there so that, you know, because every, every week there might be new people who, are, uh, people who are new to the dishes because, you know, some people will be ordering 10 boxes and I don't know, the, the, the person who orders uh, may actually have tasted it before, but the other nine may not. So I always put the QR there so that um, the, the ingredients is, you know, is, is there, the description of the ingredients, the stories behind my own relationship with the dish is also there. Yeah. So I own, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's... It's so that's creative. It's so creative <laughs> and it's so inspiring hearing how, you know, your work and your art has really influenced the way that you approach this. And I think that really sets it apart from so many different home-based businesses, you know, which is all about the product and not really so much about the story and the historical context. I'm very curious, what is your, your goal or your eventual destination of, you know, Seco Kitchen? I just posted something about my discovery on, on my trials of Thunder Tea, right? And I thought, oh yeah, this is a dish I can't, I can't sell. I'm so sorry. I, I can't do this alone. I mean, you know, for... For five or seven people, I have mountains and mountains and mountains of vegetables. I don't know how to wash them or, or, or store them um, quickly or cook them quickly enough to even serve seven people. Um, so seven were not feasible. But somebody, after they saw the post, they, actually not somebody, a number of people, after they saw the post, they had different responses. Two separate parties said, hey, would you be interested to do group cooking sessions? So you are not the only person who is cooking it, right? So we all get to taste it and we all get to discover that process with you. Um, you just do it with us. How about that? You bring us to the market and then we buy the different ingredients with you. We know the cost of things. We know how to select things. And then we bring it home. We, we wash them. We cut them. You tell us what size to cut, how to fry them with or without garlic, uh, what blender to use, how to, which one to blend first, uh, what kind of consistency. Um, and I just did that last weekend. As we did the thunder tea, I was just saying, hey, you try, you try this paste. Is it salty enough for you? You know, do you need to add more savory elements? So you can actually adjust to the, the palate of that group. It need not be set in cement, uh, you know, and, and tied to the original recipe that was invented, you know, in I don't know how many centuries. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so I think it's, it's a very dynamic thing. As long as we knew, uh, as long as we understand that the original dish came like that. Mm. But we don't have to stick to it if we don't enjoy it. Like, for example, my, my, my first encounter of the Thunder Tea, I thought, hmm, it's a little bit bland for me, right? How do I keep the spirit of this, this dish but maybe just increase the savoury element in a very invisible way? You know, so that became my, my preoccupation, you know, for a month. Um, and, and so then I will share that journey with, with the people I cook with and said, okay, you, you taste, you taste. This is my taste. This is my palate. But you may find it bland so we can adjust it. Mm. Yeah. I, I think that is really the spirit of, of cooking and what would keep heritage food going. Because yes. if everyone assumes that there is only one way to do something and mm. that creates a lot of rules for people and like this high barrier to entry, yes. how, how would that playfulness, how would that inventiveness and that aliveness still persist, you know? I mean, before that, our forefathers were so unbridled in their approach, you know? They had yeah. so much fun, but now it's like, I feel that there are a lot of people, like, maybe it's because of social media that has democratized speech, you know? It's yeah. so easy to just be a keyboard warrior and say, oh, you know, what you're doing is wrong, you know? No one cooks it like that. And people yeah. feel really frightened, you know? Yes, intimidated. Yeah, which is, which is very sad because I, I think that is a huge reason why a lot of Singaporeans don't, don't want to cook heritage food. You know, you can cook yeah. pasta and like put your own spins on it and have a lot of fun with it. No yes. one will say anything. But the moment you touch something like, like nasi ulam and, <laughs> and maybe like you're a beginner cook, but you're very interested in that, you post it online you get flamed, you know? Like, yeah. oh, you know, <laughs> like it's a nasi ulam, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're not even peranakan. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. That's a whole can of worms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you see? So, but you see, I'm, I've always, maybe in my, in my entire career, my, my journey, I've always done my own things. I've never really listened to, I've never listened to um, other voices. I've just followed. Because, I've just followed my own heart. And, and, and because of maybe initially there might be some doubts, oh, will it lead anywhere meaningful? But after all this time, oh, I know it's meaningful. You know, it's just very, very rich process. And it's, you never think that it's going to intersect. This, I'm, I'm in the art world. I'm very, very active in the art world. And this film and this writing and food. How do they ever connect? But yes, they do connect at some levels, you know. Um, but when you started, you, were, you can never imagine it. There was something that I started as, if, as an experiment. There was a few months, maybe about one or two months, I was really free. And then um, that was the time when my, my, um, my parents couldn't cook um, that often. And they were doing tinkats, right? So I thought, oh, wow, it's going to be a really rude shock to them, the quality they're used to and the quality where they cater home. So I decided to start meal kits. Okay, meal kits are actually pre-marinated food. Now, when I say pre-marinated, I don't mean I marinate and stick it in the, the, the fridge for days. No, it would be on the same day because I go market every morning, right? I'll go to the market 
And I looked, oh my goodness, the sotong is really fresh. Okay, I'm going to buy this. You know, the, the tiao pian, you know, it's a special kind of squid. That's super sweet and has a really nice crunchy texture. I see that as, oh my goodness, okay, I'm going to buy because I know my father, my father loves it. By that time, I had, I had started the platform maybe about three months already. I, have, I had a host of regulars. So they say, okay, well, Pat, I know you go market every morning. If you see very interesting, very, very fresh uh, sea prawns, buy for me. And then you just marinate whatever you want and just, and just I, will, I will come and pick it up. I would be so touched that they trust me that much. Today, I see very nice sotong. I would take a picture of that. Would you like that? Okay, I, I, I cut, I'll pair it with uh, celery and uh, carrots for you and I'll do the marinade for you. So when you get back, I will actually write out cooking instructions. Okay? Five minutes is all you need. Five minutes. All these are quick meals, but very good ingredients. So I said, oh, the prawns, very good. Text. I will text individually. I'll send a picture of the prawns. Oh, I want, I want, I want. Okay, done. Okay, so they would not question how I would prepare them. Yeah. Oh, today maybe the prawn I'll make. Um, I'll make uh, like tang kui. I'll include tang kui, you know, and yeah. just steam it. Very simple. Um, with wine, with some Chinese wine, and I said, yeah, three wow, minutes. Three minutes. Smart business idea, you know. It's not really a business, I can tell yeah, you. Yeah, I know, but it's so genius. <laughs> it's like real wet market to table, okay. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's same day, okay? So, I actually have a following of, of people who want that. Um, it's quite a lot of work. Like, and, and also, you, it may actually seem like a, um, how to say, uh, 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 an easier way than a nasi ulam. Maybe in many ways it is. But there's packing, there's marination, there's making sure that ingredients, because they're raw, they, you know, I have to clear my fridge space. They are kept at the right temperature, you know. And after marination, stick back in. Um, and the way I pack in newspaper so that it travels well. So there's a lot of consideration of, of that. Because, uh, yeah, because it's raw. So yeah. I, I feel the burden of them make, of making sure that they will get it. And the, the, the instructions are quite complete. I came into this podcast you know, expecting there'll be a really good conversation on food. But, you know, I was amazed at how many life lessons I've learned from you. <laughs> I'm so much older. <laughs> when you're my age, you're, you're going to be so much, you're going to know so much more, so many more stories to tell. Oh, I feel very inspired speaking with you, you know. <laughs> Thanks for speaking Thank with me. You know, it's really lovely. I'm so glad that we got to talk. Thank you so much. So that wraps up another episode of the Singapore Noodles podcast. My guest on the show was Patricia Chen of Seckle Kitchen. Once again, thank you for the support towards Singapore Noodles in the podcast. Just in our previous episode, we've had new listeners from the Netherlands, Japan, India, Germany, Mexico, Indonesia, Vietnam, China, and Switzerland. I hope that these podcast episodes would give you new insight into my country's cuisine and food culture. And I'll catch you all next week.